Under the Dome Radio, Season 1, Episode 6, The Endless Thirst. Welcome back. This is Under the Dome Radio, and lucky for us, there are no jammed, squelched, or alien-sounding frequencies here. Thanks for tuning in. Under the Dome Radio is the go-to podcast by and for fans about the CBS television show, Under the Dome. And this is episode number 13, which may be lucky or unlucky, depending on your view, but we will save that for later as we feedback, no pun intended, and give our in-depth review of The Endless Thirst. Under the Dome Radio is produced by Media Voiceovers at MediaVoiceovers.com and sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com. Check out all the ways to help out the podcast at underthedomeradio.com slash love. And this episode of Under the Dome Radio, we're going to have a new segment, at least for this week, called On Location, where we're going to share some of the comments from San Diego's Comic-Con panel, tie up some loose ends regarding Blue on Blue. Then we're going to go on the air and talk about what we liked and found interesting in this sixth episode of Under the Dome, The Endless Thirst. And we will broadcast at the Tower, where we play your listener feedback, and our broadcasts section, where we're going to be uh, thanking folks for helping get the word out. And we're going to go into the Dome in the know and uh, talk about some things that might be spoilery. We will forewarn you. Do not worry, okay, because things in the book may or may not be in the show like we've talked about before. And any links or items or videos or things that we talk about on this episode, we will post them on the website over at underthedomeradio.com slash 13. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, the bike riding, tech teaching, world traveling, Green Bay Packers fan who now knows that a fish boil is no good if you're using methane as the gas source. <laughs> That's for sure. And I'm Wayne Henderson, the podcasting, voice acting Packers fan who would still love to be a drift race car driver someday or maybe even compete on The Amazing Race or both. Maybe they'll actually have a drift race car challenge on the season of Amazing Race that uh -huh. we would actually run together, Wayne. And yes, I will actually let you have that roadblock. Awesome, because I am ready. They just need to give us the call. Just saying. <laughs> please do. And please call the listener line for Under the Dome Radio at 904-469-7469. Send in your audio feedback that way or directly through your computer or smartphone at underthedomeradio.com because the Under the Dome Radio podcast is not quite yet affiliated with CBS, Stephen King, Amblin Entertainment, the Under the Dome TV miniseries, or any of those folks. But, you know, we would like to be, and uh, we're willing to talk. Right, Troy? Absolutely. But before we go on the air this week, we did want to tap a few loose ends because for some reason we lost our good friend Jason's email regarding Blue on Blue. So we promised him we would share his thoughts with all of you uh, before we move on. So he actually rated Blue on Blue an 8.5 exploding hearing aids. Uh -huh, okay. Great rating. Uh, his favorite scene, of course, is the missile impact as it hit the dome, backdropped behind Joe and Nori. And uh, Jason says, so Big Jim did leave her down in the cellar initially, not surprising, not surprised that he let her go when they thought they all might die. Had it not been for that, I'm willing to bet that she'd still probably be down there. Now, Angie's butterfly tattoo looked fake to me when they focused on it. I can't accept her seemingly to have forgiven Junior. I'll chalk it up to thinking they were about to die also. 
having not died, I wonder <laughs> what that relationship evolves into in the next episode. Obviously, it was very interesting what happens next. I appreciate the continuity of Junior's hand still being wrapped from uh, when she had cut him with the scissors in the previous episodes. Surprised that they didn't introduce Joe and Angie's mother during the um, Visitor's Day, and I actually didn't think of that either until Jason mentioned this, and that's a really good point. You would think mm. that if mom's out of Denny's, she'd be at the dome looking for him. Uh, so she lives in Chester's Mill, but she's outside the dome. Wouldn't she be concerned about her children? I knew that Coggins wasn't going to last much longer after threatening to expose Big Jim twice. So you know where that's going to lead you for Ollie in the future, I'm sure. Uh-oh. Uh, Bar- Barbie's off the hook for Peter's disappearance and might be able to move back into the house. Oh, jeez. I'm pretty sure they might be doing more than moving back in. Other than Nori, there didn't seem to be a lot of concern for the people who weren't underground. Big Jim didn't seem concerned that Junior was still up top with the missile headed to town. At least Joe is searching for Angie. Not sure why Linda left either. Seems a little weird to go, hey, just uh, I'm upset about, you know, telling my fiancé that I, I basically killed his brother, so I'm just going to go to the one place where I etched his name into the wood. So definitely interesting there. Um, given the info that the missile's headed to town, wouldn't you think everybody would try to be safe? Uh, before I knew there was called Blue and Blue, I thought a better episode would have been a better episode name would have been Friendly Fire, but apparently that's the term used to call it that. So bygones. And of course, as Jason always says, stay trapped. I I did want to catch a couple things from this episode um, when I watched it a third time, and it was interesting how they actually stressed that it was monarch butterflies. I don't know if you caught that, Wayne. Yeah, but, but I were, just thought, oh, that's that kind of butterfly. Well, let's, I mean, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that NBC at the exact same time was airing a special about a royal bundle of joy. Yeah, I mean, destiny. You know, he's going to be king someday, I suppose. But seeing as that a monarch or a monarchy does imply a king, are we going to see a king rise and <laughs> democracy thrown to the wayside? Which we kind of start to see a little bit of that in this week's episode. It's looking a little more like dictatorship to me. Could be, could be. <laughs> but good thought. So we're now past the missile, and we are on to Act 2 of this first season. And yes, I called it first season because we have a few things to share about with you as we go on location. Out to San Diego, to that crazy sci-fi nuthouse, I guess is the best <laughs> way to put it. Because <laughs> it is just a trip if you've ever been out there. And we do have a few clips from the Under the Dome panel that we wanted to talk about as it definitely sets up what we're going to see for the rest of this season. So my question is, is he getting these psychotic tendencies from actually you? His mother's side, not me. Uh, we uh, we learn a lot about Junior, uh, and he, his, his uh, deceased mother actually comes into play a bit. And uh, yeah, he, he, I guess the apple didn't fall far from the seed didn't fall what is it far from the tree something like that (laughs) but he told us to use this ongoing television series as an excuse to take my characters to places where i couldn't so we're just so grateful to have him on board and for him to be that thoughtful of a collaborator it's just it's a dream come true so troy what was it that really jumped out at you about these uh clips the things we learned about junior as well as uh, Stephen King's thoughts on the show. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I think that came out of Big Jim talking about Junior, you know, he said the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, you know, and if you're a book reader, 
you know, you may think, you know, he's referring to, you know, Junior is psychotic like Big Jim and this quest for power, quest for control. That's what you I know, thought. But I think that we might see a spin here. I think that when he says, you know, take these characters and change them a little bit, as you heard Brian K. Vaughn say, you know, he kind of got the blessing from Stephen King to take these characters in a different direction. So I wouldn't be too surprised if the mother of Junior, the former wife of Big Jim, um, assuming that she's dead, right, she may just be out there somewhere. Um, but, um, you know, I think what we're going to end up seeing here is that maybe the mother comes between father and son, and they may end up being on opposite sides. Oh, I didn't Warring think that at maybe. all. You know, I mean, he stressed a lot, you know, that, you know, it's, it's tied to the mother and that we learn more about the mother. And then he said, apple falls too far from the tree. So maybe Junior's more like mommy and not like daddy. Um, you mentioned that all of our questions will be answered by the end of season one. Um, is there plans to go beyond season one or is this like a mini series? Well, we should say when, I think when you said that all the answers will be questioned, I think about the people up here. We'll find out about all of their secrets, but that doesn't mean we won't hold a few secrets about the dome, right? Right, right. So they'll, they're, you know, we're going to give you more secrets that will then be uncovered. And uh, also, if you want to have the whole series on November 5th, we're going to release the DVD series of the show. So that'll be around too, so that you can like kind of Go back and look at all the little, little things that the little Easter eggs that we laid out. Like even in episode one, they'll come back. So if you see episode one again, watch it really carefully because that's going to speak to things that happen to in later episodes. But we can say these guys are are shooting the uh, season finale right now, and it ends with a hell of a cliffhanger. So if we're not lucky enough to come back for another season, you guys are just screwed. It'll just be a really <laughs> painful cliffhanger. So uh, write your congressman and say, uh, give us a second season. You won't be screwed. <laughs> you get the answers. <laughs> And I know, somebody, I'm a Stephen King fan, and I've seen Stephen King adaptations where they change stuff, and I'm like, why did you do this? I loved it, but, uh, you know, Stephen King really encouraged us. He said, people have read my book already. I don't want them to be able to go on Wikipedia and know how our series is going to end. Give us some surprises. So even if you've read the entire novel and uh, you think you know where the dome comes from and what it's all about, you don't. And I thought I knew, Troy. I thought I knew too, and apparently we are all fooled. <laughs> oh, that's what we've kind of been going with all season anyway. But I know there are still going to be some people, I just know it, at the end of season one, that are going to be totally up in arms when they find out it's not the same ending as in the book. <laughs> or, or we're all going to look like idiots for believing them, like just like we believe J.J. Abrams that it wasn't a certain villain in the new Star Trek Into Darkness either. Mm. And then it ends up being that way, so... Who knows? You just have to watch. So what does it all mean? What it all means is that Under the Dome Radio is going to be back next summer because they did announce that Season 2 is greenlit for 2014, and we have confirmed in a CBS press release that Stephen King himself will be, in fact, writing the Season 2 opener. How awesome is that? That is very awesome. That's very exciting, and I think that's just going to 
bring in even more people to check out season two, which obviously is about a year away. So we're going to have to be a little bit of patient, but at the same time, enjoying uh, the rest of season one as it rolls on. And yeah, that was so cool that CBS put that out and let the word out the cat out of the bag. Stephen King's going to be writing that first episode of season two. And it was very cool of CBS to post the entire videos of the panel from San Diego Comic-Con. And we've embedded them onto our site, uh, shared their YouTube videos. Be sure to check them out and be sure to watch, as they suggested, go back and watch episode one of Under the Dome from CBS and uh, pay close attention for the 10th time exactly and pay close attention to everything because they kind of hinted there that little things may be cropping back up next year awesome awesome cannot wait so with that being said i think we will transition and talk about this week's start of act two the endless thirst let's dig into that you know, I, right off the bat, I thought it was great to see even more from Andrea Grinnell, as well as Ollie out there at the Dome's Edge. You know, you could see the destruction in the back. And and it, Andrea Grinnell, as well as Dodie, both had uh, big parts in this episode. It was neat to see. Yeah, a lot of speaking lines, especially from the Dodie perspective, because we, um, you know, Dodie's not as prominent in the book. So it's great to see that they're using her character and making her interesting. You know, if you think about it, she's like the Marianne of Gilligan's Island, if you will, (laughs) if you want to compare it to something. I mean, she's a little creative to the professor, you know, sort of. And she's basically given us the forewarning of what's going to happen in the rest of the episode. But, man, the second time, just seeing that devastation effect, the visual effects team is really, really awesome and how they can do that photorealistic stuff. And it's all done in CG yet there's like no green screen effect at all that you can actually see, at least on my TV. So, I mean, they really did a really great job on that devastation effect. And yes. maybe if our Once Upon a Time fans are listening, maybe they can uh, hire the Dome visual effects crew. Just saying. <laughs> you didn't go there, did you? I did go there. Oh, yeah. That's one the one thing that um, Once Upon a Time needs help on is some of their special effects. But, yes, on Under the Dome, that was incredible. For all we know... Maybe they were just on location somewhere where there was a big borderline between devastation and not. It was very well done. But the next thing you know, all of a sudden there's this truck careening through town. It knocks out the water tower. And I'm not going to go into details. I know you've got some uh, thoughts to share on it. But basically, my wife's review, the instant it happened, was she screamed to the TV and said, lame. Well, and it's like Alice just all of a sudden gets this like hot flash and insulin attack, whatever you want to call it, like out of the blue, right? It wasn't even like, oh, you know, hey, I I forgot to take my insulin this morning. I'm running out. So at least it kind of set up why she was acting crazy because then people are automatically going, oh, the dome's making her crazy. The dome's doing it, you know? Um, At the same time, everybody's fixated on, you know, oh, where's this delivery truck going? I mean, come on. It's like, is he really making a delivery in the dome? Um, But maybe he's just driving across town to get to the supermarket. You know, it doesn't mean he has to be delivering furniture. Um, but the one thing that really struck me as I went back and watched it a second time is that, you know, as you go towards the end of the episode, Julia and Dodie are in the car and they're talking about how it's interesting that the dome protected us from the bomb. And when we needed rain, the dome, quote unquote, provided us the rain. So going back to the scene then, right after the truck crashed into the pipe, Barbie and Linda are standing there looking at it. And Barbie asks Linda, where does the tower get its water from? And Linda says, from the lake which, of course, then we find has been poisoned by a methane pipe burst. So 
did the dome help cause this crash? Because yeah. if the lake is poisoned and the lake and the lake technically feeds the water tower, wasn't the water in the water tower also poisoned? And in which case, this might have been a blessing in disguise, quite possibly. I had a big question here. Why would Sheriff Esquivel tell Barbie that he and Julia should be an item? As far as anyone, except for Barbie, knows, Julia is a married woman. Uh, Sheriff Esquivel, way out of line. That was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, maybe Linda knew that Julia wasn't happy in her relationship, and she sees that Barbie makes her happy. I still cry foul. I mean, the scene was just there to kind of make the time passing as they walk to the lake. They could have talked about anything. They could have actually had Barbie ask Linda about Rusty and how she's doing, you know, with her fiancé trapped on the outside of the dome would have been a little bit more believable. Yeah. So I just had to throw that out there. I just, that really got my goat. The one realistic thing in this episode of Under the Garden Gnome, I mean, Dome, was the Chester's Mill town folk, just like in the book, starting to lose their minds. You know, Nori's planning to steal insulin. There's like mobs at the grocery store. This seemed kind of realistic because that's the kind of stuff you would expect to happen uh, when people are trapped under the dome with, you know, no hope and no chance of escape. And it just seemed to me like that is what would have happened, right? Yeah, but at the same time, it's not quite realistic. I mean, we're on day five, day six. Shouldn't this panic have set in much sooner? I mean, really, are they going to panic over processed food? I mean, yeah, I'm just running out to eat, you know, a box of ramen for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would panic more if I was out of propane and water, right? Because even if the water's poisoned, if I run out of propane, I can't boil the water to make it filtered, right? right. So, I mean, propane and water are my two first things, not food. Food would be like four or five. Besides, if you remember, if we go back to Stephen King's first draft of the dome, 2,000 sources of food are scattered all over the town. So to focus on a run on the grocery store seems a little far-fetched unless there was a tipping point, which there really wasn't, but we'll save that for later in the dome section as it ties to the book. The one tipping point might be, for me, is Junior Rennie wearing a police uniform and having a gun. <laughs> that, that can instill panic in a lot of people if, if they know him. But the one thing that was uh, interesting, though, that we actually saw one of the other police officers in this riot sequence, and Linda did mention him as Carter, and we have to wait and see if his last name is actually Thibodeau, but there is a Carter Thibodeau in the book that is a police officer, so it'll be interesting to see if this is Carter Thibodeau um, as we progress forward. Don't you feel kind of bad for our, our friend Rose at the diner? Absolutely. I mean, I, I want to save this one for later because Rose is an interesting part um, in the book. And, you know, what I, the scene was really interesting because the first swing of the bat, they kind of hit it behind the door so you knew it was going on. And then she kind of like crawls out from the thing and I thought that was done pretty tastefully. But again, you know, this was writ written for Showtime and they said they wanted to be more cableistic, if that's a word. Um, so the second swing of the bat was a little bit more, ooh, did they really just show that on broadcast television? Because that was a little painful to stomach on that one. But I suppose we've seen worse out of Jack Bauer on 24. But it was like, it just kind of made you cringe a little bit when that last swing of the bat came down. Yeah, it did. It was very brutal. And like you said, even though not much was shown, you got the gist of what was going on. Yeah. The rain, just out of nowhere, it starts torrential downpour. It but, came I mean, on so weird. suddenly. And it was it was heavy. You know, I mean that's a 
that's the one thing about this that I just really couldn't buy. You know, I mean, yes, technically, I mean, I've, I've been trying to talk myself into this rain concept like for the last three days. So, okay, it's a plexiglass something, right? So it's focusing the sun rays. So maybe it's getting warmer inside the dome. So maybe there's more evaporation from this lake, which didn't really look all that big to begin with. And we don't know if the whole lake is actually in the dome or not. And then, you know, yes, there could be dust particles from the fire. There could be dust particles from the plane crash. There could be, you know, other things that are collecting the dust to make the condensation process of rain happen. And yes, it could rain, but that much rain in five days, I don't think it's condensed that much that you would see that kind of torrential downpour for as long as it was. It's almost so, like yeah, the, I didn't buy it. It's almost like the dome has sprinklers uh, up on the top. Kind of yeah. in that, like that Jim Carrey movie. Yeah, that Truman show where they can just yes. on and off at will. The whole thing. We'll have to keep our eyes on that to see if that happens. But after that scene, I kind of like the commercial that they were showing, uh, promoting the special collectible Amazon Blu-ray set of season one of Under the Dome and showing how you can get the cool you know, bonus version with the little dome with the red handprint on it that's like supersized. So you really get the idea. It's almost like the dome wanted us to talk about it here. And of course, if you want to pre-order that super deluxe Amazon set, we've got our affiliate link. You can get any of the three versions at underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon. So I'm really liking Dodie because, yes. you know, we didn't get to see much of her in the book. And I really like her detective work and her little contraption that she built and trying to track down the source so of the cool. signal. You know, now I never would have guessed at first that Nori and Joe would be the kind of source of what's going on. I really thought they were going to find like some kind of transmitter or something. But instead, they kind of get directed to the feedback. It's like a feedback loop, right? Uh, which ends up being uh, Nori and Joe. So what was great about this, though, is that, you know, they showed... Uh, Julia and Dodie the video from the phone, which you know Joe told himself, "Shh, don't show anybody." But yet, as they're watching the video at that moment, there was no "shh," and it seemed like it played for a very long time. So I wonder if, again, like I said in my previous podcast, you know, did Joe only see him shishing the phone along with Nori, and nobody else can see that actually happening? Hmm. I thought I saw it. I didn't see him sit up. Maybe he did some creative editing on the app in his phone. That could be too. But I will give yeah. them credit because I'm glad they're finally sharing it uh, with somebody because I didn't want them, the two of them, just harboring this secret, which, you know, it's important for some other folks to know. But on the other hand, uh, Sheriff Esquivel made a good point that uh, if everybody in town knows, they're going to be coming after them. So... Uh, and what and what happens if somebody comes after them and if they get, you know, big jimmed, we'll call it, instead of murdered, right? If they get big jimmed, you know, um, you know, if Joe dies or Nori dies or both die, does the dome die at the same time? Does mm. the dome explode and kill everybody inside the dome because there's this massive feedback loop and it's like an implosion rather than an explosion? I, I don't know. So, yeah, it's probably better that few people know as possible. But it is good that there's more than just those two. In case something happens to Joe and Nori, it's good that Dodie and Esquivel do know that uh, something is going on and keep an eye on those seizures. And then at the very end of the episode, it was very Stephen Kingy. I must say, you know, 
Big Jim Rennie having a little discussion with Angie, offering her this and that. And I have a question for listeners. And again, I know you've written down our listener voicemail at 904-469-7469. But I have a question, listeners. Do you trust Jim Rennie's very kind offer to Angie? He sure sounds convincing, doesn't he, Troy? Well, given what we've heard from Comic-Con earlier in this episode... I'm going to say, yes, I trust Jim, and I think Jim wants Angie on Jim's side. Now, whether or not I could trust him long term, you know, I think I'm only going to be trusting him as long as my arrangement stays intact, you know, because we can see very quickly that even Big Jim tries to make a deal with Ollie at the well for the propane, and you can see Ollie's, you know, totally blackmailing Big Jim now. So, you know, I think, I think deals are only as good as deals can last. And if they can't last, then it is what it is. Kind of like when people set up alliances on The Amazing Race. Or Survivor. Or all these other great CBS properties. <laughs> so that about sums up the episode. You know. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a letdown this week. It's hard to live up two. to last week's awesome blue on blue. But uh, Yeah, I mean, it was, very, it, it was very clear that, you know, we knew that, you know, Brian K. Vaughn wrote last week's episode and Jack Bender wrote, uh, Jack Bender directed last week's episode and this is definitely no brian and no um jack in any way shape or form in this episode so i gave it a lowly four out of ten new ways to give feedback to somebody four out of ten four. I, I guess i'm the generous one this week that's unusual i give this episode five out of ten glasses of flaming water and you know why it's a four wayne no or a five or a four and a half is because we didn't even talk about the one thing that made this the worst episode ever of Under the Dome, and that was the kiss. I, I was pretending that that didn't happen. Notice how I kind of skipped right past it myself. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, that was no context, no setup, no nothing, no wanting or earning, yearning. You know, it just it just was poorly executed, poorly written, poorly put out there. Yeah, sorry. And it, there's some people that are raving about it, though. That thought, oh no, yeah, that no, it was. I mean, we'll we'll save it for the book. We'll save it for the in the dome. Oh, okay. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, Julia Shumway, as far as she knows, is still married. And even if she knew, it's kind of strange. Just five days later. Uh, Plus, you're a reporter. You should be a little bit more like, give me the facts about this guy before I jump into a relationship with him. I mean, I know that we're like trapped and all, and you have urges, but you know, really, and it was you just raining. At, you just you just yelled at the guy, kicked him out of his house, and now you're gonna smooch face with him. It just no, it doesn't work. Wow, it doesn't if, work. If Andrea Grinnell, if we find out next week that Andrea Grinnell actually saw this happen, oh, yeah. everybody's gonna know now. Yeah, <laughs> the word. And, and you'll just and you'll just spread it all over town. She's the town gossip. I love it. I love it. Oh, uh, let's move on. Let's move on to the broadcast section of the show. We want to thank some friends, namely Scott and Miles and Miss Garcia over at the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at scifidinerpodcast.com, coincidentally enough, who played our Under the Dome radio promo on their show this past week. Also, thank you to Krista Hurley, who sponsored a propane tank donation for the show here. Krista says she's a new listener who lives and works on a military base in Okinawa, Japan, and she enjoys the show much better after listening to us uh, give our synopsis of the episode. So, Krista, thank you so very much. Very generous of you. 
greatly appreciated. It really helps out the show. And uh, keep on doing what you're doing in Okinawa. It's a good thing. And thanks for listening to the podcast as well. And with that, we have traipsed all the way over to the tower. Got some listener feedback that has some more information regarding this past episode of Under the Dome. Hey, guys. This is Bryant in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, calling you again. Uh, another really good episode tonight, I thought at least. Um, one of the things I really liked about it is that Ollie is getting to do a lot more, which is great because I really like the actor playing Ollie. His name's Leon Rippey. He's been in several shows that uh, that I liked. Um, you might remember him from Alcatraz. You might remember him from Deadwood. Um, Another thing that I wanted to bring up is something that I feel certain nobody else on Earth is going to ask, so I'm going to ask it. If you cheat on your husband, who you don't know is dead, is it still adultery? I'm wondering. I have no idea how that works, technically. Anyways, good episode. See you guys later. Hey, Wayne and Troy. This is Rick from Wisconsin calling, and I'll get my single gripe about this episode out of the way first. I thought the scene where the cargo truck wipes out the city's water tower by narrowly missing uh, Nori's mom was ridiculously stupid. I don't know why he'd be going so fast down a street like that in the middle of town that he would swerve, go through a fence, and take that thing out. Plus, where was he going and what was he doing that, the town is all contained in a dome that's only a few miles wide. Where is he making a delivery to? This is day three or four of them being trapped under there. Where did he come from? Where is he trying to go to? It's just ridiculous. He could have had any old car hit this thing. I know it had to be contrived somehow to create the water shortage, to create the tension between Big Jim and the farmer, and it and all of that was good. But just the accident was so ridiculously dumb. It was as bad as the, the fire being started by the Reverend. And uh, just when they made his character good, they killed him off. But I would say I'm totally shocked that they killed off Rose uh, and sad by that. She was a character I really liked in this show and it was a nice lady. I was equally surprised. I thought that maybe they were going to uh, kill off Angie here, but they kept her around. And the negotiations at the end of the episode were very interesting. And I'm wondering, if I was Angie, I'd take the deal if you think Big Jim can really control his son. But as soon as that dome was gone, I'd be going to the authorities and getting out of town. (laughs) But it was a strange touch uh, trying to understand why this interference is being generated uh, by the... Joe and and uh, the girl again, and why why it started, why it went away, what it means, what's their connection to the dome. Uh, the dome is definitely <clears throat> much different than what it was in the book. And how did it rain inside? Uh, if, if they have a small ecosystem there, I guess that would make sense because the sunlight would still cause evaporation, but if it can't go, you know, through the dome one way, I guess it can't go through the dome the other way either. So 
Eventually it would build up into a cloud, but it, it appeared to be sunny in there the whole time. That was the only thing I thought was a little strange. It should have at least been some kind of cloud cover before this rain. So we thank you there, Rick, for that uh, great voicemail. Um, definitely got some interesting points. Yeah, we didn't talk about Angie and the uh, horror flick running through the woods. Definitely kind of an interesting way to uh, escape and uh, go on the run is to run into the woods where some crazy person could come out and grab you again, I suppose. She is not um, having a good week so far. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but yeah, let's move on. Uh, we have uh, uh, an old friend, Justine from Poland is back. And Justine said, I felt really rattled by this week's episode. I could feel how dangerous Chester's Mill has become under my skin. For me, this culminated in Rose's cold-blooded murder. I was almost terrified and disoriented as Angie was. The lady seemed like a good future protector for her. I was hoping for that, that Angie Jr. storyline needed a big twist. All of the above is the hallmark of good television, right? Excitement, action, drama, not surprised Under the Dome got renewed for another season. Really glad to hear the news. I'll also throw in my two cents on the Julia Barbie kiss in the rain scene. It was less moving than it would have been had there not been so much horrific commotion beforehand. I like the journalist more when she's doing her job and not getting distracted. What I liked most of all is how the farmer stood up to Big Jim. Makes me wonder what Big Jim is going to do with the tables turned on him. There's only a limited supply of propane, just like insulin. Overall, Justine gives it a 9.5 out of 10 not terrified diabetic kids home alone. Oh, great. Just another Home Alone movie. That's what we need. <laughs> that would That's a whole twist on that whole thing. And luckily, we're you know asking for uh, sponsorships and donations of propane, not insulin. So, Yeah, and we're not leaving Ali out of the discussion today. We're just saving him for the In the Dome section. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, mo- how long Ali actually um, survives, given that he's challenging Big Jim. <laughs> that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because like uh, Barbie said on like episode two or three, when he's told big jim barbie said i guess being on your team could be hazardous to my health so justine thank you so much for sending that in and now hey everybody voice is steve here how are things under the dome oh man i love this show couldn't imagine two better guys to fill us in on all the goings on under the dome in chester's mill will and terry or um is it tom and uh uh wesley Oh, no, 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 I got it. I got it. Wayne and Garth. Wah, wah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Wayne and Tony. Ah, just kidding. Troy. Wayne and Troy. So I bet you guys are all just dying to hear what I thought about episode two of Under the Dome, eh? Hard to believe things are moving as quickly as they are. It almost feels like they skipped like three or four episodes to get us to what happened this week in episode two. And I find it odd that episode two was like four hours long. Wah, 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 wah. Wait, 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 huh, what? This this was episode six? Wah! Oh, huh. Well, uh, I, I guess I'll uh, toss my two cents in on last night's episode, yeah? I guess that would be helpful. Uh, moving things along. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, so far, any concerns I had about the show not following the book were the annoying whines of a big, whiny, whiny baby. I love that they seem to be giving Big Jim a bit of a heart while still reminding us from time to time that he is, in fact, a heartless you-know-what. I like that Jim let Angie go, but was disappointed that we found her right back 
back in the hands of Junior. Hopefully we'll see things go in surprising new directions as we go along. I also look forward to the investigation into Coggins' death. Way I see it, he was trying to listen to something on the other side of the dome. I forgot about them gigantic hearing aids he's wearing and Curse Bluey! Or something. And of course it turns out they just assumed that he got too close and you know, Curse Bluey. Now, as for the latest episode, uh, lots of things going on this week. Did anyone else have to use the restroom about 10 minutes in? That was a lot of water. And the whole riot thing, man. Well, it's good to see that just about everybody in the nice, quiet town of Chester's Mill is a jerk to some degree or another. Well, except for the diabetic guy with the shotgun. Barbie's dark side started to peek out, huh? Well, see where that goes. Though hopefully the kissy face and smacky mouth with Julia will calm him down a bit. I have to say, their pairing on the show seems a little too obvious, but in the half of the book I was able to read before Dome Day, I did get a vibe from the two of them. Now, Angie was all over the place this week. Wow, she finally clonks Junior on the noggin, then proceeds to run in the middle of the woods for a little bit. That's pretty out there, I'm sure. Finally gets into town, hopefully to safety, but oop! there's Junior. Then the thing at the diner, then she wakes up at Big Jim's house. You know, before the dome came down, when she was a little kid, she was probably the clumsiest, unluckiest kid in the world. Though the deal she was making with Big Jim seemed pretty sweet. Oop! There's Junior again! So, another exciting episode. Uh, These hour-long shows, I always think that they're just gonna go on forever and ever and ever. Kind of like this review. But everything, just like boom, 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 stuff's happening right and left, and you, you don't know where it's gonna go, so that's really cool then all of a sudden it's over. So that's it for this week. Uh, Hopefully check in with you guys next week. Wayne, Troy, thanks very much for putting out the best podcast out there about Under the Dome. Really. Good to see we've got season two coming our way next summer, so more of the same from everybody, I hope. All right, see you later. This is the voice of Steve. Bye, Wayne. Bye, Troy. (laughs) Steve. Don't turn around. Oh, there's Junior again. (laughs) Junior just keeps... He's like a magnet. Or else Angie's the magnet, but... uh, Great observations there, Steve. Thanks for re- recording that, producing that, and sending it on in so we can play it on the show. Good stuff and very entertaining, right, Troy? Absolutely. Tony, Trey, <laughs> party Why on, Garth. Garth. <laughs> party on, party on, and we will continue partying on with our good friend Jason, who we did actually get his email for this week, so we will include it now. Uh, he said it was a very chaotic episode. They crammed a lot in. And for him, it was almost too much. So the secret is out on Joe and Nori. Also, hide your insulin from them. Definitely want to do that. Angie escapes, but while trapped under the dome, she also gets trapped in a horror film because the first place she runs to is into the woods. (laughs) Yes. I don't think Junior will comply with Big Jim's deal with Angie, and Big Jim might go back on his word also at any moment. Barbie nearly kills not one but two guys. Not sure he's stopped with Waylon. He knew... He, he knows he was involved with Rose's murder, so mm. but I think we saw him actually kind of scroll around on the floor um, after Barbie had gotten up and carried Angie to safety, so I think Waylon's still alive. For now. Uh, but for now. Barbie and Julia share the most telegraphed and undeserved kiss of the summer TV <laughs> season. No build-up at all. And if this gets nominated for one of those teen choice, people's choice, best kiss categories, I'm just, I don't know. It's just wrong. It just should never have been there. Uh, They'd seen each other, what, all of twice in this particular episode, so there's definitely no buildup for that kiss. Yeah. Uh, 
and all it took was rain to bring the town back from the brink of killing each other. Uh, really interesting how Big Jim actually jumps out of the car and he's like, touchdown! <laughs> yeah, he was awfully happy. Uh, it's like, come on, the guy is just, he's so angry and evil and mean, and yet then he's like, yay, it's fun! There might be something in that rain that, that, that is affecting people. Uh, not tear gas, though, because the tear gas couldn't even stop the people from basically coming to the brink of killing each other. After a missile was supposed to destroy the town just the day before, half the town went crazy, and the other half apparently went on like nothing had ever happened. Where exactly was that appliance truck driver going, and did he actually have a delivery? So there you go. See, someone else is thinking about the delivery he's trying to make. Um, definitely Big Jim's next victim is going to be Ollie for sure. Uh, it probably will not end well for him. And, of course, as always, stay trapped, Jason. Maybe it won't end well for uh, Big Jim Rennie. In the Comic-Con panel, if you watch the videos, they said that none of the characters you see sitting up here are safe. Where have we heard that before? Oh, wait. Lost reference. Lost <laughs> reference. Jason, that was uh, excellent. Thanks for sending that in, and uh, sorry that we temporarily lost the one last week, but we're back on track. <laughs> we are so organized. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling in about Under the Dome. Uh, first off, uh, it's nice that there will be a second season next summer. I do uh, have to wonder how far they can go if nothing changes with the current concept. Uh, it be nice to have some episodes showing how the outside world is reacting or perhaps uh, some twist such as Another Dome. Um, I also wonder if they've filmed two endings to the season, one as a series finale, one setting up next season. Moving on to the Endless Thirst, I have to ask what that truck was doing in the first place that crashed into the water tower. I mean, here we are so many days into being under the dome, just what is being delivered here. Um, the mystery of the jamming was uh, quite interesting. It appears to have started when Nori and Joe kissed right before the uh, bomb hit, and then it ends with them holding uh, hands against the dome together. Just uh, what is up with that? Uh, that'll be a good mystery to see uh, develop as the series goes on. The lake being poisoned by uh, methane contributing to the wordage shortage was a nice trick. I'm surprised no one had noticed uh, the dead fish in the lake earlier. Uh, the microclimate causing rain which cleansed the water uh, was a satisfying conclusion to the, uh, the panic in the episode. It uh, knocked some sense into people who clearly gone crazy there uh, and happened at you know, a convenient time right before shots were going to be fired. But I do wonder about the people in their panic. What are they thinking there? I mean, you know, they're really going quite short term. And, uh, you know, after the riot uh, this one day, you know, what were they planning to do the next day? The uh, dynamic between Ollie Densmore and Big Jim is going to be interesting to see in uh, upcoming episodes. And, of course, we have to wonder whether Ollie is going to be the next one to have an accident. Meanwhile, you can uh, see some things from Big Jim's point of view in that, you know, if we're just looking from his point of view only, he is the hero of the show. You know, he's trying to save the town at every turn, though he's meeting obstacles. And, uh, you know, he has to make some morally dubious choices that have, you know, been taking him down uh, the slope. I presume that uh, in the book it's harder to sympathize with him. 
uh, here at the end of the show. Big Jim's trying to work out an arrangement with Angie, but uh, Junior comes onto the scene there right at the end. I have no idea how that's going to work out next time, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that's all. Neil, awesome comments as always. Great to have you calling in and sharing such great, great details. I mean, I think that uh, you know everybody's pretty much said the same thing. You know, points of this episode they were definitely not happy with. Points of the episode they liked. Um, so I think. All in all, you know, some people give this a higher rating like Justine. Some of them will be on our side at the four and a half type mark. So I think we're just going to have to let this one kind of settle and just know that this is the start of Act 2, and Act 2 will definitely be kind of setting up the chess pieces again like we were in Episodes 2 and Episodes 3. So I think as these shows progress, I think Episode 9 is the one I'm going to put my stake in the ground. Episode 9, I think, is going to be killer. So we got about two to three weeks before we see another really good, awesome episode. I don't know. I have high hopes for uh, for next week's episode. I mean, maybe this is just a, a dip. I mean, it still laid out some valuable information, but uh, maybe too much of it crammed into one episode. Things that happen for no reason. But uh, Neil, thank you very much for your thoughts that you shared there. We will see next week. So at this point, we are going to go in the dome. So we'll get you. That's the sound of going in the dome, right? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> the cone of silences are coming back out. Oh, no. Never, never. Uh, Dan still has those over at, over at his studio. There you go. So uh, take a, uh, five seconds. If you like to skip ahead to the end, feel free. If you just want to hang out and be spoiled or not, because, again, the TV show is nothing that you think you know, according to Brian K. Vaughan on the Comic-Con panel. Um, but while you're uh, waiting to uh, go in the dome with us, definitely head on over to the website. Check out all the ways you can help out the show and share the love at underthedomeradio.com slash love. I love love. So... We are in the dome. So, the supermarket riot. Yes. I didn't, I didn't like it in this episode, even though it's kind of the right time frame for the book. Um, the, the thing with the supermarket riot in the book is that Big Jim actually instigates the supermarket riot. So what he does is he basically makes a, a, a council person's decision to limit... You know, when the store is going to be open, when it's going to be closed, what people can actually buy. There's actually prohibition um, that's kind of thrown in, no alcohol sales whatsoever. Um, so, you know, Jim kind of gets that angst about, oh, why can't we get food? You know, we, we've bought from this grocery store our whole lives kind of feel for the town. And then on top of that, as they're all standing outside yelling and screaming, he actually empowers one of the local drunks in the town, if you will, yes. to chuck a rock at one of the um, passerbys that are there at the store. And obviously when they get hit by the rock, then people get all pissed off at someone through the rock, and then that instigates the riot. You know, So there's at least cause for the riot. There's just no cause in what we saw in the episode. So I, don't, I didn't buy the riot this week. I think it was ill-timed and ill-placed. I think it had... Enough they, they were hoping that the uh, Hostess Donuts and Ding Dongs and Twinkies were supposed to be back in stock by now. That would be a cause, but again, no cause. <laughs> no cause, okay. The, uh, the brutal scene inside the 
restaurant inside the diner, even though it was closed up and they came in for the meat and stuff. It seems like they took a little bit of the Angie scene from the beginning of the book and kind of put it into that scene there. Like they wanted to use that brutal violence somewhere. So they just yeah, kind of spliced that, it in there. Yeah, that combined with the um, police force that tends to overexert or overextend their powers, if you will. I think they took some of that characterization from the the new police force and kind of channeled it into these two kind of bad boys, if you will. Um, so definitely Rose does not die in the book, um, at least not about this time. I mean, certain things happen along the way and people do die. You know, but at this point, Rose is very much alive, and Rose and Big Jim are kind of like, you know, on par with each other. Um, it's, and you see that in the TV show too. I mean, Jim says, you know, Rose was a really good friend, and I think now that you know Jim's kind of check and balance is gone, I think you're going to see Big Jim slip more to the dark side than the good side because he doesn't have that sounding board in Rose to bounce stuff off of. Exactly, exactly, and another item that's going to be considered spoilery. And I really think that this is going to be very similar to what's in the book. So again, if you're avoiding spoilers, this is the section you shouldn't be necessarily listening to, though we love you listening to the Under the Dome radio podcast. Just you know, skip ahead a little bit. But the fact that um, Big Jim, you know, Barbie brings in Angie because he saves her, doing the right thing, even though he shouldn't be kissing uh, Mrs. Shumway, but he saves Angie and Barbie takes him in uh, to Big Jim. And as they try to piece everything together, do you get the feeling that somewhere along the line, Junior Rennie is going to accuse Barbie of not saving Angie, but uh, being the one that actually may have done the murder and violence in the restaurant? Yeah, that's exactly, it, it was kind of like the end of the episode when Big Jim is standing there at the bottom of the stairs looking at Angie like, okay, what's going to come out of this? And everybody's like, is he going to let her go? Is she going to stay? I had the exact same feeling as I watched this because we read the book. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, Junior's there, Angie's there, Jim's there. Hmm, maybe we could spin this a different way and maybe we can blame Barbie in this case since Barbie's the one that carried her out of the diner. You know, Maybe we can blame Barbie for this and all the commotion you know, somebody could say, yeah, I saw Barbie totally like beat her up and then try to pass off taking her to the hospital or something. So, yeah, I think we might see that twist happen. I don't want to see that happen because I'd like no. to see Angie actually do something with her character in the show <laughs> sometime before season two. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I think you're on to something. I think we are going to see that twist kind of come out of this. And I wouldn't be surprised if the infamous dog tag makes another uh, appearance. Could be, you know, I don't know. I think maybe he just lost that other dog tag before he even hit Chester's Mill. I don't know if the dog tags are going to be that prevalent. But again, they said go back and watch episode one. But then again, the dog tags were technically in episode two. And we'll have to wait and see. But we do know that Junior Rennie is psychotic. And we do know that he hates Barbie. Yes. And And we do know that Coggins is dead. And we do know that. And we know that Team Troy is going to win this week. Because definitely everybody thinks that Coggins just got too close to the dome and Jim's going to get away with it. Mm, I don't know. We shall see. Might be too early to tell. We shall see. But it was interesting that Barbie was offered a badge 
I don't recall him being offered a uh, badge in the book. He could have well, been. He didn't, need a, he, he didn't need a badge because technically in the book, you know, they have communication with the military outside the dome, and he's clearly in charge because the president sent orders to the general, and the general right, said yeah. Barbie's in charge. So he doesn't need a badge. He is the authority. Big Jim just doesn't like it. So No, he course, does not. So without that being there, it's really what, – what I've actually enjoyed is seeing how Barbie and Big Jim actually kind of work together uh, in this retelling of the dome, if you will. So it'll be interesting to see when does their relationship start to fracture. And I'm sure I, that it will. It's got to be coming. Um, let's see. Other things. Oh, um, the Nori and Joe being that they were kind of this feedback source so it was great to see that Dodie and Julia were going to find the source, but in the book, it's actually Joe and Nori who go and find the source. So I thought that was kind of a neat twist how the two people that in the book go to find the source become the source. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Now, granted, they're not the true source of the dome, right, but yes. there's definitely some connection there. So I thought that was kind of a nice twist on the book. Same concept, but differently played out. And then you have Ali Dinsmore that we haven't talked about yet. And may, may yeah. the source be with you. Right, exactly. Artesians all the way. It's like <laughs> so some race, right? Is that all, what the Artesian wells? Some I alien think so. With dead fish, no. <laughs> so Ali Dinsmore. So Ali Dinsmore, in the book, Ali is actually one of the dorm, orphan, dorm orphans. <laughs> that is hard <laughs> to I say. To That's why I let you say it. <laughs> Dome orphans because um the bullet ricochet scene that we saw with um mr randolph killing uh rusty's brother uh freddie um basically that is actually ollie's younger brother or older brother that that happens to and then of course his mom and dad end up dying as well so hmm. ollie's actually a kid and he actually plays a pivotal role towards the end of the book um, so the fact that Ali is now an older gentleman and has this farm and has this relationship with Big Jim, I think is going to be great to see how this plays out because this is a new storyline and a new characterization interaction for Big Jim. So I like that the, they use the name. I'm not sure how I feel yet about where this is going to go and if Ali's long for this world or not long for this world. We'll have to wait and see. Thanks again for tuning in to Under the Dome Radio. We really appreciate you uh, spending part of your time with us and being part of the show. The propane tanks here at the station, they have uh, gotten a little bit of juice there from generous donations, but they're going to be running low again before you know it. So we need to wrap up. We need to wrap up and conserve. We want to remind everybody to stay subscribed to Under the Dome Radio so you'll automatically get the next episode when it comes out. Of course, it's always free and it'll be there for you. So go ahead and subscribe in iTunes or whatever podcatching device you use, right, Troy? Absolutely. And even if you use a different podcatching device, we'd still love a review and a rating in iTunes. Oh, yeah. It definitely helps the show get noticed. Plus, it helps out other listeners that may be looking for an Under the Dome podcast. I mean, you've heard from some of your fellow listeners that they really appreciate what we're doing here and one of the better Under the Dome podcasts out of the mix. So definitely leave your reviews so other people can find the love and share in the community that we've got going on here because we are going to be back next summer. So we want to make sure we grow the Under the Dome Radio Domehead listenership. And the best way to do that is obviously stay interacting with us on the website at underthedomeradio.com. Check us out on Facebook at under, facebook.com slash underthedomeradio. Follow us on Twitter at UTD Radio Podcast and use the hashtag pound UTDR or hash UTDR so we can find your tweets faster. 
And of course, while you're at your computer, please take a few minutes and find out ways you can share your love of Under the Dome Radio by visiting underthedomeradio.com slash love. Buy a t-shirt, buy a coffee mug, sponsor a propane tank, and uh, definitely let us know that you want us to hang around and keep this train running, water or not. Because you never know when it might just fall out of the sky on you or a delivery yeah. truck. Yeah, be careful when you're crossing the street. Look both ways. Be very careful. And yeah, let rain, your... and rain just happens without any real condensation or dust particles. I've seen that bumper sticker. Rain happens. Let your voice be heard. Okay. Send in your thoughts and theories to be played on the next episode of the podcast. Call 904-469-7469 or visit underthedomeradio.com and record it right there. All the details are right there. And oh, don't forget dome heads. Please send a picture of you showcasing your awesome dome head uh, related headwear and we will share your awesomeness at underthedomeradio.com slash dome heads like Dodie did. Jolene Purdy, that one there, added that to the collection this past week. That's definitely worth checking out. But that about wraps it up for now. So until that next episode of Under the Dome Radio, if you're looking for us around Chester's Mill, you know, you'll find us. Always lost, out, on the fringe, trapped, under the dome. Under the dome.